Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said, as once again, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on the air today by John Bristow. John is the Managing Director of Deluxe Materials Limited, a specialist model material supplier based in Hampshire. John, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Uh, yes, thank you. Welcome and thank you for uh, the opportunity to join this podcast. No, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the air and speak with us, uh, John. Now, the purpose of this podcast series, um, as I say, is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership as a whole. So what I'd like to understand first and foremost is what that word leader actually means to you personally. I think leader is uh, it's one of the most important functions in uh, the top uh, top level of a company. Yeah. A, a company will go wrong if it doesn't have a good leader and it's I think I see that as a vision um, for the uh, for the company uh, in the short term and long term, but particularly the long term. And uh, it's up to a leader really to uh, set that vision and uh, and, and uh, uh, take the initiatives and take a team of people with him uh, on that journey really. And I think it's quite important to have a vision that everyone dials into and is a contribution to society. Um, and um, uh, we'll, we'll sustain the company in the, lo- in the long term. And uh, we certainly have a, a vision uh, for our company, and I think that's to basically uh, help people with our modelling products to enjoy their hobby and uh, take them on a journey um, and uh, take account of needs of safety and concerns that they have with using the chemical products that we make. And uh, to grow the brand, I think, is um, is certainly one of our um, objectives. And you mentioned, of course, uh, the need for leaders to essentially have a vision. And uh, when we think of visionaries, there are some fantastic examples of leaders out there, the likes of uh, Bill Gates, for example, the likes of Richard Branson, I suppose, as well. Um, are there any examples of leaders um, out there like that who've maybe been an inspiration to yourself and had an influence on your own leadership style, John? Yes, there are actually. Um, there's quite a few. Um, I think uh, the leaders of companies um, like uh, in the motor industry, there are people like the motorcycle manufacturers, for instance, that have uh, taken strong decisions, for instance, to stop making types of engines, um, uh, regardless of the cost and the impact, to do the hard things um, and the hard things that are hard to do, and just are totally committed to doing those things. Um, the leaders of um, companies like Honda, uh, for instance, um, is one good example. Uh, they stopped making um, um, two-stroke engines some time ago, and um, we admired their uh, decision. It was going to cost them money to do that. And uh, we've taken similar decisions with some of our products to stop making, uh, stop using, uh, and actually stop using hazardous materials and rule them out. And uh, that took us on some interesting journeys that we probably wouldn't have discovered if we hadn't have done that. So, yes, I think it's a great thing uh, to have that right vision and uh, have the courage to, uh, to go on because you don't know where it's going to lead you. 
I think you mentioned some quite interesting uh, points there, John, because um, people sometimes, I think, can forget the difficult side of being a leader. And that's the pressure of having to not necessarily have all the answers, but be able to make very difficult and measured decisions, sometimes at quite short notice. Whereas um, some people may see leadership um, as a more glorified thing, which is associated with essentially maybe being in the public eye, associated with celebrity and power, I suppose, in the case of politicians. But that's really not the case, is it? It is actually a very very difficult job yeah it is a very difficult job and um, um, you just got to face up to those things and just have the nerve the nerve to do it um, you know so those are the people I think we admire and uh, it's quite, it's been quite tough actually uh, to deciding because there is deciding what we make and what we do and um, and and to wait wait until good technology comes along that enables us to do that but stick to our uh, principles uh, of making, trying to make safer, uh, innovative products for uh, for the hobby market. And that's part of um, another important element of uh, business and being a business leader, that adaptability, isn't it? Because innovation is key and without it, um, you're not going to essentially survive in the long term, are you? No, we've got a very good team of people working for us, That um, um, a very good team of staff of eight, they're enthusiastic, loyal, and I think they admire. Uh, we all take joy in uh, in what we produce. I think really, um, and we uh, we we have a policy of trying to create products, uh, uh, design products that are safer, develop propositions, labels, and, and things um, that uh, differentiate ourselves. And we've ended up because um, we've been in business for almost. 47 years now, we've ended up with a huge portfolio of very distinct products that have taken us on uh, a great journey, which we're all rightly proud of. It certainly seems the case, Sir John. And um, as human beings as well, I think it's important to remember the fact that we are all fallible. And when you do have to uh, make um, certain big decisions, as you say, on the one off occasion where that may not necessarily be the best decision and then one has to sort of change direction when looking back at that retrospectively, do you think it's important that leaders don't get sort of overawed by sort of criticism and failure and make sure that they can embrace that as a positive learning opportunity? Yeah, I think you've got to learn and listen and, and learn by your mistakes for sure. Um, you know, I think we're um, we're a sufficiently close knit group of people that um, we know each other, and that that's rarely an issue. You know, we usually uh, overcome any small uh, small matters of this you know this type. And that's um, certainly good to hear. And it's relevant now, isn't it, with the uh, the current COVID-19 situation, certainly, where people are having to essentially work from a distance, but maintain that sort of close sort of contact and that close knit feel to make sure that businesses can continue to produce results as it has done before. Uh, yes, COVID, um, uh, COVID actually is quite an exciting time for us, actually. Um, there's been um, uh, we've got a great as I said we've got a great team of people and um, I think when it first hit us um, the staff uh, the employees were uh, a little bit worried but we we got people together and reassured them there wouldn't be any job losses or anything like that um, with people working at home uh, or staying at home um, they they're enjoying their hobbies which is exactly where we are we're producing products for people to do that so there was so the people issue um, 
we quickly got together um, and we built the trust with the employees. Uh, we have a team of eight in total, and um, we were able to put people, um, uh, a small group uh, that could work at home, uh, rapidly agreed to work at home, um, three out of the eight, and um, we decided everyone were happy with uh, three uh, working on a rotor basis down at our production plant, our factory. And um, the uh, it's worked out quite well, combined with uh, a system for uh, running homework jobs. And we've basically been able to keep up with, with the uh, increased demand. So in one, in, in one way, we've coped with a, a lack of capability to produce um, with an increased demand, just about, but it has been a challenge for sure. Um, but the other things we've done, you know, as soon as we saw the particular chemicals, we produce things like, you know, hand wash. We've got, we've discovered we've got the chemicals to do that, so we put people's mind at rest. I actually went down and made a hundred bottles of hand wash for our staff, and we gave them, gave those out, and um, you know. And certainly with no job losses or anything like that, I, I think um, it's, you know, we soon realised we could just about cope with the demands for our products. So generally everyone's been, um, it, it's working very comfortably. Um, the, um, it, but it has been quite exciting area, it's exciting time for us. I mean, we've had, um, even had some, sh- some dealers phoning us up from Australia asking for our products here at 8 o'clock in the morning because there simply isn't enough product out there to help, and we've been able to satisfy satisfy that market. It's, uh, so you take great pride in being able to do that, and you're committed to doing it. Even though it's hard, you have to work long hours. Um, um, I think strategically, we've retained our capability um, to manufacture in-house uh, our own products, as well as having some um, outside suppliers uh, with contract packaging. Um, so probably that was a good strategic decision to retain that manufacturing capability and it stood as well um, in this uh, this particular time of uh, high demand. And the other thing, I think we've had a vision, I think we've been lucky actually, uh, we've put in um, a system, uh, computer systems, just ahead of when it all happened that um, enabled us to all connect remotely. We've all, uh, we've armed ourselves with laptops you know, it's almost as if we knew what was about to happen. So I think we've been really lucky. We're well organised. Um, so yeah, two pressures: increase in demand, uh, making keeping our people um, comfortable, our staff and happy, confident that we keep the job go- jobs going, and, and secondly, coping with the increased demand. I think Very exciting um, for us at the moment. Certainly seems uh, the case, Sir John, and also um, you do reap the rewards during times of adversity, don't you, when you do show that you do care about um, your staff especially because it's then that they tend to really bring out the best of themselves in those times of difficulty and really muck in. And uh, that's also been yeah. a beneficial experience for them as well, isn't it, going through the experience of facing times like this where some have to really go out of their comfort zone. can really help one develop as an employee and both as a leader as well in terms of being tested in that sense. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, we um, we've um, we've staff staff. You know, you're going nowhere without good staff and, and good employees. We um, we've always sought to reassure our people. We put a letter out each week to them. 
Uh, we communicate by uh, by video with everyone remotely, and it's been been nonstop really. Um, and um, celebrate the little successes we have during this this time. For instance, our strategy of expanding our our products. We're continuing with that. We've just started in Japan this last week for the first time, and um, and we're continuing our product development. So you know. Um, Let's press on and and, and uh, maintain that uh, vision. I think that's what leadership's all about, really, particularly in time you know difficult times like this. That's absolutely right, John. And do you envision um, all of those um, ambitions panning out over the next twelve months and indeed beyond uh, the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic as well, when we begin to emerge from the other side and start seeing that light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I think we certainly see it continuing. And uh, I think there are some things to be doing, though, um, which will change us. Uh, I think we, the nice thing about the, the COVID thing is probably um, that um, it's brought closer to our customers um, and um, we're getting to know them a bit more so we can grow loyalty with those people uh, that buy our products, both the consumer and the, and the trade. Um, that's, that's, that's been a very nice experience and we need to sort of uh, polish that and the way we deal with that um, and going forward as we expand I think we will be looking for for, uh, for more good people um, people with uh, passion for what we do energy and interest in it and uh, and also people with um, as, the mo- as the world moves to more digital um, people with digital um, uh, skills these are opportunity uh, through things like social media and um, and stuff like that to um, to say to build the business. Yes, and I think it would actually be fantastic, uh, John, in future, uh, once we do start to see uh, the fog lifting and how things are developing within the business to certainly catch up at a later date and just see how those hopes are being borne out and also how the businesses are getting on. Um, We are just about um, out of time uh, for today, but I've got to say, yeah, John, it's been a real insightful experience and also an absolute pleasure having you on the air with us. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come onto the programme and speak with me. It's been a real pleasure. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Scott. Thanks very much, John, and do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on, for sure. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was John Bristow, the Managing Director of Deluxe Materials Limited. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional football career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 50 four long years ago now i hope you enjoy listening just as much as jonathan enjoyed speaking with sir jeff and that's coming up next Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former england footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a world cup final sir jeff first thank you very much for coming on today uh, you're welcome you're welcome good afternoon uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team 
when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm-hmm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over a few years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you 
that the business is well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially on South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team, but in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, Al. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, uh, somebody at the back who, 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. That's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in in football terms today. Uh, Easily, easily. And of course, going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely Mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at There's that, so many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, it, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team, the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.